officially not dancing alone. So nice. Bob's not here to yell at me or look at me weird, and my guest is dancing already. We are in good shape already, I can tell. Alright, folks. We are in different times, but I'm going to promise this, this episode we're not going to talk about the tough times. We're going to talk about fun and games and the cannabis that we all know will get us through to the next phase of our lives. So today, Bob Pye is not with us. He had previous engagements. Uh, unfortunately, he wanted to be here really bad. Um, so we have, I'm so excited. This is really our first New York processor that we've been able to have on the show. Um, that can give us a really good perspective of what's going on in New York from a processing perspective, which I know a lot of farmers would love that uh, information because they're frustrated a little bit with the processing side of it. Uh, I know we're going to get some good information, but I do not want to hesitate because she's dancing. She's trying to snack and get ready for this little chat. We got. I'm going to drink a little water here, but who we have in the room today is Courtney Colley. Uh, she is part of American Hemp Project. Uh, they have a line of products they just put out, Lucid Garden. I'm not going to get into too much of this because I'm going to let her share it. Um, but welcome to the show today, Courtney. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. So Courtney is this bubbly, cute as heck, married girl. Her and her husband got it going on. They're little travelers, the world travelers. They are just that fun couple that that is just really enjoyable to be around. Uh, the minute I met both of them, uh, I knew there was definitely kismet energy. Um, Courtney has got that energy that just lights up a room. Uh, her husband's got that serious mind where you can tell he's always focused on what the project is at hand and he's just a really sweet guy. I uh, really liked them both. So um, her and I have been chit-chatting a lot um, in the industry. We've been to a couple of industry events together and it, it is really great to um, talk about what's going on around us with someone with, that looks at things very similar to me. Uh, so Courtney, I appreciate that. and It's been fun to have you around. Well, thank you. That might be the nicest introduction I've ever had. Oh, good. So Courtney, one of the first conversations Courtney and I had, because Ellie's starting at the foundation, everybody knows, uh, is exercise and in shape. Because obviously I knew Courtney right away. She was, I could tell she was fitness. She had some kind of athletics in her background. Uh, so I, I, right away, what, what do you do? Like you're a runner, what, what, a triathlete, like what do you got? So, so first, of, first of all, are you born and raised in, in the Rochester area? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Hamlin uh, in Brockport. Graduated from Brockport High School and uh, went to school in Buffalo, Duville College, and then after school, moved back here to Rochester. So yeah, I've always been in upstate western New York. And Duville, if I'm not mistaken, is Pennsylvania? No, Buffalo. Oh, okay. Yep. Interesting. What type of college is that? What do they specialize? Liberal arts or... Uh, actually, it is a uh, small private Catholic school that specializes in nursing. It goes way back to when it was actually um, nuns, specifically, that went to school there. But I went for international business, so I was kind of the oddball. Interesting. Um, how was the experience in a, in a small community like that? Because it had to be what, a couple thousand kids or something? What yeah, was it? it was about 2,500 students, and almost half of those were Canadians that commuted in. So it was a very small campus community. You know, the dorms were small. Those of us who lived right there at the school were uh, close-knit, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. That had been an interesting experience. What drew you to there for international studies when maybe it wasn't a school that was known for that, or, or was it? 
Yeah, no, I, they had a program that looked very interesting to me. It was a five-year bachelor master's program, but also they um, had a volleyball team, Division Three volleyball, and so I was able to play volleyball while I was there, and that was a big plus. Yeah, so you're a volleyball player. I am. Did you play at Brockport? I did. I played in high school, college, and <clears throat> here and there I play at Hot Shots when I have a chance to. So outside hitter? Yep. What are you, right? Yep. She's got a little height to her. How tall are you? 5'8". 5'8". All right. So I don't know if you know volleyball. She's definitely got the perfect build for a volleyball player. <laughs> you got you, you got a good uh, vertical leap? Uh, not as good as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so volleyball, that's a great sport. Uh, I, I like the fact that that's a really good sport because it, it combines cardio and really uh, muscle too because, because when you're contorting your body in those ways in the air, people don't realize what, what strain that is on your body going through that. What's some of the injuries you've had playing volleyball? Oh man, um, I have uh, I have had a few times where I I haven't um, broken or torn any ligaments, but strained them pretty bad. So you know, going up to block a hit and getting that entire spike with your thumb, you know, blocking it with one finger and and things like that, um, twisted ankles, diving for balls, lots of bruises, nothing too major though. How was the team at Brockport when you went to high school? How was uh, we were good. We were pretty good. Um, uh, I would say my hmm, my uh, junior year, we won sectionals, not my senior year, but we had a good team. We always competed. Yeah, Brockport had a better program. That's why I was bringing that up. Yeah. There's a handful of programs on Rochester that are, that are good volleyball, girl, girls volleyball programs. I was a girls basketball official, so I always followed the girls basketball. Oh, okay. And, and the Brockport girls team tend to have a good team out there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Brockport. That, that's an interesting school district. But Hamlin, so th- my exercise uh, started started after college when I really got into doing triathlons as we talked about running and stuff. But it's funny because Hamlin is where you grew up mm-hmm. and Hamlin is where I first saw a triathlon being done. And really? I don't know if you remember as a kid, but way back in the day, the first triathlons in Rochester were done late in the, I want to say mid eighties in the eighties. Uh, and they had it at Hamlin Beach State Park. Oh yeah, right there where you, where you lived, and they would run it out the state park. So we had a cottage at the end of the parkway, uh, Lakeside Beach State Park. You know where that is, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, Cuckville was our cottage. So we had Cuckville next to Green Acres uh, Marina out there. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. That's not too far from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we had a cottage out there for like four or five years. So I would do papers in the morning. So my dad would drive me from the cottage back home to Greece down the parkway to do my newspapers in the morning and then drive back to the cottage. So oh, my wow. dad, Yeah, my dad was awesome. He was the, he was the man. But as we, as we would do that, there would be one weekend, every time we would do it for four straight years, I'd be like, what is this crazy? What are they doing? Like, do you see these bikers? But then you see some runners and you're like, I'm all confused. And it really wasn't publicized in any newspaper then. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing. And then finally, when triathlons came around back around again in Rochester about 20 years ago, uh, it was happening in Canandaigua. And I was working down there at the same time and saw some people training. I'm like, there's these people doing that. And that's what got me into it. So it's so funny. That it was like oh, where man. you grew up. And, uh-huh. and the first uh, marathons of Rochester were held in Hamlin, too. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, uh, vol- so volleyball, did you do other sports as well in high school? Were you like well-versed? Yeah. Um, I was a three-sport athlete, so I did soccer in the fall, volleyball winter, and track in the spring. What was your favorite? Like, what was your calling? 
Uh, I would say volleyball is my favorite. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like soccer a lot too, but, uh, and at the time, honestly, in high school, track was more of just a, hey, a fun time to hang out with some friends. I wasn't a serious runner at that time, uh-huh. but um, I would say volleyball was my favorite. Excellent. So um, fast forward to your college. Do you, how do you think the volleyball experience affected your college experience? Did it enhance it? Would you do more traveling? I mean, tell me how, how that worked. Cause a lot of people who don't have the experience of playing college sports, they only see it from the perspective of division one, going to pro sports, whatever, but from mm-hmm. a D three level, it's a little bit different, right? Yeah, it is. You know, I really thought that it helped me connect to a lot more people. So obviously we had a close knit volleyball team and just a group of people and then the men's volleyball team too. So it was this whole community. Um, we did get to travel a good amount. So, you know, going to tournaments on weekends, sometimes you'd have to take a day off of classes, go to a tournament, but it was fun. We got to see a lot of different schools. We got to play at NYU. That was probably the highlight. We played against U of R once and we played against SUNY Brockport once, so it was fun coming to, you know, back home and playing in my own backyard. So, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely enhances the experience. If I hadn't played a sport in school, honestly, I don't know what I would have done with all that free time. And I don't think I would have met as many people. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I was intramurals and working, working different jobs, and but that's what helped me socially. But you're right. If, as far as the social network, it helps you get in right away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's phenomenal. Um, so that's good. So, so you, so did you get, um, burnt out of the volleyball at some point at the end of your college is one of the things where it was winding down or did you create when it was done? You were like, Oh, I really wish I still had that. Is it, and what did you do next athletically? Yeah. So, um, you know, in college you get four, four years, four seasons to play a sport, except, uh, for me, I only played volleyball for three of the four. So one of the fall semesters, I traveled abroad to Florence, Italy, So I lived over in Italy for three months. So I missed that season. And I always think in the back of my head, I got one more season of eligibility in me. (laughs) Who wants to take on a 35-year-old volleyball player? It's not unheard of. (laughs) Not unheard of, I'm sure. But um, yeah, no, after school was done, I think I just stayed active in it by playing over here at Hot Shots, the indoor sand courts here in Rochester. So that kept me active in it. And then you did something else that we've talked about that I think is the craziest thing. I've done a handful of marathons. I've done some running, but I, I think you've exceeded the 26-mile mark a few I times. Have. Yeah, so, so tell me a little bit of, of uh, just to, to round out the athletic piece of your life, because sure. I think it's such a good foundation, is, is tell me how you got into doing, was it ultra running, or, or what is it that you got into? Because I don't even want to think about it, because this stuff <laughs> is so crazy to me. But tell me, what, tell me what you did and how you got into it. Yeah, of course. Um, well, you know, I always ran here and there, maybe just a couple miles at a time, did a few 5Ks, you know, after school. And then really, you know, um, when Josh and I were planning our wedding, super busy, you know, I was trying to stay fit, all the, you know, all that time it takes to plan a wedding. And then after the wedding was over, I thought, oh, I got a lot of free time on my hands. And, you know, what what am I, what am I going to do? Kind of silly, but, you know, the whole uh, term letting yourself go after you get married, I was very afraid, you know, I was like, I need to stay in shape. Can't have that happen to me. But I had a good friend named Lily and she said, you should run a half marathon. And I thought there's no way I could do that. But I just started training, you know, three miles, four or five. I remember the first day I ever ran a six mile training run and I just thought it was like, oh my gosh. And then it just kind of went from there. So I started off with half marathons. Mm-hmm. I now, like what, year? what year about now? And that was 2010. Okay. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, this is just how I am, but I have a spreadsheet with 10 years of running data on it. Every run, the pace, 
all of that. So, you know, I would That's track amazing. and I would have weekly mileage goals and all that. So it, it definitely tended to my, my nerdiness factor, you know, something to obtain and the numbers around it. But, um, I, I did a bunch of half marathons and then a friend of mine said, why don't you do the wine glass marathon with me? It's a road marathon down from Bath to Corning. And that was my first marathon. I was sick for it. So I was very sick the day of, but I'm, you know, I had been training for so long. I said, there's no way I'm going to miss this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was really pushing myself the first 20 miles, sticking with my friend Katie. And then I said, you go ahead. I, my body's, you know, not feeling great. And at that 20 mile mark up until 26.2, I threw up the entire way. It was rough. So that was my first marathon experience. Wow. Yeah. Did you get uh, coke in you? Were you trying to put coke in you? Or were you trying to do it at the aid stations? It's, yeah. I, I've I was, seen this happen before. I, it was, I couldn't keep anything down. And at that point, I was just drinking water because it hurt the least coming back up. Yeah, but um, it was still emotional. You know, I remember getting to the finish line and you turn the corner in Corning. And uh, my husband, Josh, was there and he was running alongside me to get me over the finish line. It was emotional. Yeah, it had to be. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, I, I, I'm just goes to show the type of person you are. Like you're okay. going to get something in front of you and you're going to get it done. Yeah. So after right. that, I actually kind of transitioned over to trail running. You know, that left kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And I go, oh, what am I doing running on the road for this long? And that's when I really started getting into trail running. I did a lot of the trail series here around Rochester and, um, uh, the distances just kept getting a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And um, and so I started contemplating the idea of a trail marathon or an ultra marathon. And uh, when Josh and I moved out to Honeyway Falls, now we live right around the corner from Menon Ponds Park. That was like it for me. You know, I leave my front door with my dogs and we just go hit the trails and get lost. And that's where like my love for trail running really kicked in. Yeah, that's for those of you who don't know, um, Menon Ponds Park is in Monroe County, Rochester, New York, south of the town of Pittsford. And it is truly a, a runner's paradise. You go there and there, I, I'll bet you, uh, you go there, there's hundreds of people in those woods, but you feel like there's nobody still. And there's horses allowed in those woods. And it is just really a tranquil area for, for people to run. And it, there's a strong group of runners that are always out there, but smiling yep. faces. Uh, and you're right, it gets addicting out there. The, the smells, plus you get the little animal sanctuary in there mm -hmm. and the Monroe County horses are kept there. Yep. Yeah, just a lot to see. And really, you just feel more connected to nature. So at that point, I transitioned a lot of my road running over to trail running. And um, the the first ultra I did was the Sega Honda in, in Letchworth. And Crazy, by the way. I was so glad you brought that up and you said it correctly because I wouldn't have. So that's run by Fleet Feet out of Rochester yep. uh, with the with Boots and Ellen. And that is, I will not do that run. I went once for a training run and I it Describe what it is that you just, the it race you said. It is so rough. It is so rough. So the entire race is on trails, but you're running on trails, you know, along the gorge, except there are, I believe it is six checkpoints you have to come up to. And as you can imagine, the gorge is kind of the low point of the trails. So when you go up to a checkpoint, each of those checkpoints made you run uphill. Sometimes the uphills were a three mile uphill to get up to the road where they had the checkpoint and, you know, the, the fans. But other than those checkpoints, 
point. So you were just out on your own going down crossing creeks. Um, and the day that I ran it, it was all mud. I mean, running was, you know, maybe not the term I would use. I mean, you were just scaling mud. Yes, exactly. And doing that uphill almost feels like you're moving backwards. So it was a very, I would say that was a rough race, but I absolutely loved it. You're amazing. Because I'm trying to, uh, I was trying to pull up, pull up the race real quick because there's an insane amount of ravines that you have to go up and down. So yes. what she's saying is not just you're climbing back up out. She's she's being very modest now. So now as you go sideways down, you have to remember going that you're going up the river, basically the Genesee River, which has forged this super steep canyon. And then there's a lot of creeks and tributaries that go into it. Yes. So now you're going up and down all these side tributaries. Mm-hmm. Of, it's not like you're going straight on the riverbed at the bottom and then climb up like she's being way modest right it's now. It's constant up and down and up and down. And your feet are soaked. There's no way they can't be. Um, but hey, I made it. All right. So tell me the, the difference between... Th- Getting sick the last six miles of a road marathon versus running a way longer, harder race on trail and why it's different. Because I, I know there's a different feeling because I could run trails forever too. So, so explain, do you, have you figured out the difference for you? Like why it is? I think a lot of it is mental. So a lot of it is, you know, when you're out on the road, sometimes it, it's a little bit harder to kind of get lost in your surroundings and, and, and kind of get, get into that mindset. Um, when I find them out on the trails, out in nature, on that Sega Honda, you know, I kept thinking, even if I have to stop and walk for a second, like, this is amazing. I'm Look around woods. me. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it, no matter what, I knew I was going to finish both of those races, but I would say just your surroundings and just that environment you're in, it, it makes it a lot more rewarding. How many years did you go through that cycle? Like of of running and keeping track of you know all your spreadsheets and everything. Yeah, it, it happened. It was going pretty strong up until this past year, up until twenty nineteen. So so almost a decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you seem like you're like me. You need that carrot, right? You need you need that. This is out there. I need to reach it, attain it. Have you been like that your whole life? Yeah. Yeah. You can ask my parents. They always laugh and joke about me as a kid. I would wake up really early and and make a list of what I was going to get done that day. Just as a kid. (laughs) Now you're an only child? No, nope. Nope. I have an older stepbrother, an older sister, and then two younger brothers. Wow. So, and you're almost like in the middle then. Mm -hmm. And your parents ended up worry about that middle child thing because you were like the (laughs) go-getter. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That's so funny. So uh, describe your family dynamics a little bit. Sure. So um, my mom and dad adopted my sister and I um, from different families. She's a couple years older than me. And they got divorced when I was about three. And then they both got remarried. So my dad got remarried and my stepmom, Kathy, had a son named Nick. So I got an older stepbrother. And then my mom remarried um, to my stepdad and they had twin boys. And so I split my time between my mom and stepdad's house in Hamlin and my dad and stepmom's house in West Aronquite. And um, it was, honestly, it was always an adventure. You yeah, know? I can imagine. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I feel lucky, you know, you get double the, double the parents, double the grandparents, double the everything. Yeah. Family's big. I like that. And that's great because it sounds like there wasn't a lot of contention in your family then, which made it no. easier to deal with. Nope. 
Yeah, that's the best way. When 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 my ex and I split, uh, we had one lawyer. We wrote our own separation agreement, and when we we had Christmas together with the kids still for many years after we split. Mm-hmm. Um, and our families are still tight now. Like uh, her son thinks my family's his family. Like that's great. It's the way it's supposed to be. Like it's yeah. supposed to be blended. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but that's cool. I like to hear that. Uh, so that 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 paints a good picture of you as far as being very tolerant and and you just kind of go with the flow type person. Um, which is great because I'm trying to put this out there for people before we get to the business side because the business side is going to be a very important piece of this. Sure. Uh, so good, healthy family upgrading, Rochester, New York, serious athlete. How'd you, now, how did you meet your man? Was he your college sweetheart or <laughs> high school sweetheart? What do you got? What's, where's Josh come in the picture? So Josh grew up in Brighton. That's where he graduated high school. And um, the summer we were both home from our freshman year of college, so the summer of 2004, we both got Josh jobs in Kodak factory. So both of, we both had parents who worked at Kodak. And so kids are eligible to apply for a summer job. And we both just ended up being on the same shift in one of the batch melt facilities. So, you know, we would work, it was shift work, you know, 12 on 12 off. Um, we had to gown up, we had to mix and deliver um, chemicals in dark rooms. And, you know, it was it was a true factory job. But uh, it was funny because Josh's dad was um, was the one who had to train me when I started. And I think I started maybe a week or two before Josh. So his dad was training me. And I remember he pulled out this senior picture and he goes, oh, my son Josh is going to be starting, you know, soon. And I remember him showing me that picture. And I was thinking, oh, he's kind of cute. So that picture, I always remember because it was a senior picture. First moment you saw mm -hmm. him. But yeah, so I met his dad first. But then when Josh started working there, we found some connections. He had been going to school with my my closest friend, Lynn, from college or from high school. Sorry, they went to college together. And so we just all started hanging out. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. Real easy. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. And she's got such a sweet smile. Like we're talking about him too, which is the best. Um, All right. So my kids just had a canceled trip to Italy. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And both my kids uh, speak Italian and did in high school. Um, so tell me about your time in Florence, Italy. I, I kind of, I want to close this segment on a nice long talk about international studies and international, what you learned internationally and, uh, and go into some detail about Italy for me and for the people who've never been there. Sure. So um, as part of, you know, the international business program at Duville, they they encouraged us to go abroad. And honestly, when they offered up Italy, it was no brainer. Um, I didn't really know much about Florence when I moved there, but they put us up in apartments with, you know, the rest of our classmates. And uh, we live right in the city. So it was three months. We had to, you know, fend for ourselves. At that time, there's no Wi-Fi in the building. So you were out walking around, going to internet cafes. It was just a really uh, nice spot where they put us. But I would say the best part was the curriculum itself. So we were learning Italian, the language, Italian art, Italian history. Those were the different classes. But we got to go to the art museum, to the Uffizi, stand in front of, you know, go to the museum where the David is, stand in front of the David, uh, go to the Duomo, go to all these very um, historic places and the teacher would teach us right in front. So we would be in front of the David learning about the David. So, I mean, I can't say any more about what that learning experience was for me. I mean, it'll stick with me forever, but, uh, we really just got exposed to so much that I never would have had 
exposure to otherwise. And once you're in Europe, it's a cheap flight anywhere. So weekends, we would go to Paris or London or all around Italy. Um, and when I was there, I could speak Italian pretty, pretty good, but I really don't have it anymore. In a moment, do you think in like survival mode, like it would come to you? Like it would be like, yeah. how did that just happen? Like, I, I think so. You ever have those dreams where you're like, I was speaking fluently in my dream, but you probably weren't. It just seemed that way. For me, it's other things other than, you know, cause I don't, I don't, I didn't never mastered Spanish when I w- learned it in high school, but mm-hmm. there's other things that I have dreams like that about though. You're like, oh yeah, I got this. Like, that's funny. So, all right. I'm very intrigued by the, the country of Italy. So, so tell me, um, what was an experience that surprised you? Like, uh, obviously you go there and you see a lot of things, but there was something that was like, you didn't think about it, like either society wise or something away from like the, the art and the, the education of it, like society wise, like people. Sure. So uh, there were, there's quite a few. Um, the fact that everything shuts down in the afternoon and everyone really takes that time to go have a coffee or rest or whatever they do with that time of day, you know, they everyone leaves their businesses, closes the door. If you want to go shopping in the early afternoon, forget about it. Everyone has left and gone to have a big lunch with their family and rest and then they open back up later. And then they work until late at night and they eat dinner very, very late. To me, that was just, it was just different. You know, it seems like they truly take the time to spend quality time with each other. And a lot of that's focused around meals. But um, I just can't imagine, you know, in the country we live in, where any business would shut down at a potentially very busy time of day to go spend time with family and friends and really just enjoy your life. Did you see that in the other countries in Europe as well, or was that um, kind of an Italy thing, Italian thing? Um, trying to remember. I know it was a long time ago. Yeah. Because I, I think, you know, you'd think about the Mexican siestas, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of other countries do have that time. I think it's huge. It's refreshing. It refreshes you as a person. And then you're not worried about leaving at work at 4, 35 o'clock to go rush to see what's going on. You're working naturally at 6, 7 o'clock just till things get done. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a big one that stood out to me. Um, the day before I left to come home, so you could only stay there, I think it was 89 days without a visa, you know, and we didn't want to get visas. We all had passports. So the night before we were leaving, um, we went out to dinner and my passport was stolen. Yeah, that was crazy. I had gone this whole time, nothing stolen, nothing pickpocketed. And I remember getting up from the restaurant and my purse was just gone. And we, it was late at night and, and panicking. We were walking around the city looking for, you know, the Plutzia, trying to find someone who would help us. And quite honestly, they were not helpful at all. Even asking where the U.S. Embassy was. I mean, it, it, so that was a little bit of a surprise to me too. I, I don't think, I don't know if it was an American thing or, or what, but it was very, very difficult to get, get help with that situation, you know, at, it's like they hour. saw you in a state of weakness and instead of being there for you, it was like, they're like, oh, well, it's your yeah. fault. You put yourself in that position or something. I couldn't believe it. And of course, I was absolutely panicking. Yeah. But um, yeah, that that was another situation, I guess, a little bit more on the negative side that I was like, wow, really? You're not going to help me out? Because I feel like if I found someone here in that same state of need, I would do everything I could to help them. But, you know. Yeah, we'd be like, okay, we'll look on our phone real quick. Oh, you need to go downtown to this building and it's there. Right. Or you got to go to New York City. You got to get transportation, whatever. Yep. Yeah. I know yeah. we, yeah, that's interesting. That was a crazy experience, but I got a temporary and I made it home. 
Yeah. Well, uh, they want they want you to be safe and get out of there. So it's mm-hmm. nice. Um, so tell me about your experience there. So do, so when you went, was it the embassy you had to go to? Yes. So how was it? Like you had to scan in to get into that. Was it like walled and everything, or was it just like a building you walked into? Like yeah, I remember that night it was closed, so I couldn't. I mean, the the office for passport and emergency passports was closed, so I had to go back the next morning and you know bring all my paperwork and show them everything. And you know, once once I got there, it was it was actually fairly easy. It wasn't it wasn't too bad of an experience, and they were able to turn it around in a day. But um, I think it was just you know, in that moment of panic, having someone that could help you in that situation. And that reminded me, you know, when you're away from home and away from the comforts of home and there's the language barrier, you know, some things just aren't quite as easy. Life can be tenuous at times. That's yep. right. And you have to always be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing uh, my kids, if they ever travel or whatever, go overseas, you know, one of the things, you know, always make sure your money's strapped under your, in your bo- on your body in a separate thing. Keep a, ba- a dummy wallet in your pocket. So if someone's going to pickpocket you, yeah, let them take it. It's got all dead credit cards or whatever. Yeah. They think they got value from you and nothing. I and mean, there's a lot of things you can do. But um, so that was the next question I was going to ask. It doesn't sound like you were felt unsafe a lot on this 89 days, though, of your journey. No, not too much. I'm I'm also probably a little bit more bold than some people, but um, I remember my mom came to visit and I rode the bus to go pick her up at the airport and then I get her back on the bus with her luggage and there are a lot of gypsies in, in Italy and Europe, but especially near the airport in Florence. They're just everywhere. And this was actually a great show of the culture of Italians because... My mom and I get on this bus and the gypsies were kind of surrounding us and and they were trying to get into my mom's luggage and and I didn't even notice it. But the other Italians on the bus started yelling at them for me and warning them for me. And luckily at that time I could speak pretty good Italian and thank them. But they got those gypsies kicked off the bus for us. So they were looking out for us. I would say that was, you know, one of those things where I was just wow, I, I just didn't expect this. You know, so happy to see my mom and get her to Italy. And here I got to look out for people stealing her, stealing her luggage. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so define gypsies, because I, I didn't realize how heavy that gypsy culture is still in Europe and tolerated, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, most of them are homeless um, and they, they just live a different kind of, I don't know if you would say nomadic lifestyle or what, but you can, you can see the difference. You know, they just, they, they look, I don't even know predatory. how to describe they it. They almost look predatory. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like they're yep. always looking, they're always eyeing, like mm-hmm. they're always, they, they, they're looking for what the next thing is they're going to get. Yep. And Europe yep. is bad. Very. Um, people get bags taken a lot in, in uh, transportation centers in Europe. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. Uh, and then you don't always get the, the police to help you out with it either, which is kind of sad on top right. of it. It's almost like they're tolerated for some reason. And, and I've, I've always been curious of that. You tolerate some homelessness in the U.S., but if there's homeless people stealing things, then our culture is to not allow that piece of it, right? We'll let that person live okay as long as he's okay, healthy, yeah, yeah. But if he starts stealing things, we're going to put him in jail. Right. Yeah, there's a little bit of a culture of, you know, kind of fend for yourself. Um, so did you, did your parents have any, um, any worry of you going or saying, no, you shouldn't do this at the time? Um, I'm sure they were worried, but uh, they kind of know me and know if they tell me not to do something, I'll probably <laughs> want to do it more. So yeah, no, they didn't try to keep me from going. And that's cool. And your mom came to visit you, which is really sweet. Yep. 
Now she spent like five days, six days with you or something like that. Yeah, I think she was there for about a week and we went and spent a weekend in London and um, I brought her to a couple different places around Italy. It was great. Cool. All right. So outside of Italy, what was your favorite little jaunt? Oh, man. I, know, I love these good questions. Guys. Outside Italy. Yeah. While I was there for my semester, let's see, we did Paris and London. Um, I, I mean, even going to Paris and London, I think I could pick 10 cities in Italy I liked more. Oh, no, we'll go back to Italy. Yeah, I'll give you an Italy piece, but Paris and London were your best two I, out. I mean, those are those are the only two out of the country that that I visited. Um, now, do you have a keen eye for art? Like, uh, it sounds like you, you, you have a lot of, uh, you went to a lot of different museums and that kind of thing. Is that because you enjoy that? Is that yeah, something you personally Yeah, enjoy? I enjoyed it. I think it was eye-opening to be around so much art and so much historical art. Um, so I, I did get to go to the Louvre and um, see the Mona Lisa. Uh, I don't speak any French, so Fran France was hard, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. But even being in London, sometimes the accents and they're speaking English still struggle with. Um, I mean, of those two places, it's a toss-up. I don't know if I could pick one over the other. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, just to be able to go to those, uh, I'd really like to go visit Europe, but I want to do it like to follow the Tour de France. Oh, right? yeah. That's how I want to see Europe. And then I want to go uh, a winter trip to Europe where I'm just doing like uh, the Swiss, Swiss Italian Alps in that area, right? That's the two, Very nice. that's the two ways I want to see Europe. Um, because I don't know, to me, I'd like to see Ireland maybe by bike too. Right, that would be another t cool experience, I, I think. Yeah, um, for sure. But something about England and Paris—I don't know about those big cities like that. I just New York City, just big cities for me. I, I, I don't know. I'm glad you got to experience them. Are you more of a, a rural girl now, or do you, do you are you a city girl? Do you think? Um, I, I would say I have definitely embraced the country life. You know, Josh and I lived in the city right off Monroe Ave. Um, for nine years. And when we were ready to get out of the city, we couldn't get out fast enough. And now that we live out on some land and we probably have 30 to 40 deer pests through our yard each day. It's great. It's great. I love it. I think it just helps to kind of live a more balanced and relaxed lifestyle. Yeah, I agree. All right. So Italy. So we're going to close up now with the favorite things you saw in Italy, your favorite cities. And uh, if there was something cool you did, maybe that not every tourist got to do. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Um, well, I would say being a somewhat poor college student, you know, we had to do all of our trips pretty frugally. Um, we, we took a day trip to Pisa and then took a ferry over to the island of Elba. And that was wonderful. That was absolutely wonderful. Um, just spending the day on the beach there. Um, there was a city, called Assisi. Francis of Assisi is from. And it it's on a cliff. So I think for me, the things I remember are these like vivid, like mental pictures of places where we're sitting outside the chapel of Assisi and there's this, this wall and it's hundreds of feet high. And we were sitting on it looking over and it just looks like the wall to an old medieval town or city and just like where am I how does this still exist you really feel like you've gone back in time um, yeah, like someone was sitting on this wall a couple hundred years ago in this wall probably existed almost you know, 150 years ago and it, yeah. it was there like right 
Um, I mean, there's many other cities we visited. Siena was very cool to see. We went there right after they do these horse races each year around the city. And there's these different clans of the city and each clan is represented by an animal. And the horse that wins the race, that clan's animal gets portrayed across the city for a whole year. So that was cool because we came right after that and there was all these celebrations. It's just this very old tradition. So I'm not really giving you a straight answer. So I don't oh, know what good. my favorite was, no, but there just so many um, deep rooted cultural things you got to see. Um, we did get to go up to Venice, which, you know, a city with no, no roads, no cars, just canals. It's really incredible to see that. And walking. So you pretty much were either walking or on a boat, right? Yes. Yep. And how, how is it the businesses and like, explain that, like, like service business, like how, how is that city? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've only seen pictures, but to me, I, I want to smell it. Like, does it smell like fresh or is it salty smell? Like, like, tell me a little bit about Venice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, probably primarily tourism, all of the businesses, the brick and mortar stores. But for example, service wise, there's McDonald's on a boat. So McDonald's on a boat comes by and you just wave it down or it has spots that it stops. So, you know, they've just kind of shifted their focus and the way that they run businesses based on the canals. You know, all the taxis are canal taxis, which is fun. Um, But the city itself, I mean, I don't remember it smelling bad that's for sure but you get there and you're just wide-eyed and you're looking at this incredible town I mean it's so easy to get lost because you're just winding and there's really you know no no directions anywhere you just wander and that's probably my favorite thing about visiting cities just wandering getting lost that was like the goal let's get lost in every city just completely lost and just see what we see yeah that is the best way because because then you you never know what you're gonna stumble upon that nobody else has really Mm -hmm. uh, has seen um, that's always been the way I like to travel too. Um, so international studies, was that your only travel overseas or did you take advantage, um, with your, with your degree or post degree traveling overseas? Um, uh, from a, from a work or a career perspective, I didn't do any other international travel, but I've done a lot of just personal travel. Um, when my mom worked at Kodak, she was the, um, on-call nurse uh, at the Olympics in Torino. So I got to go to the Torino Olympics with her. Absolutely amazing. We got to go to skiing events, ice skating events, all of those were, you know, she had to be there on site for the Anthony Perez, the CEO at the time, and all of the people Kodak were whining and dining. She needed to be there as the on-call nurse, and, and I got to tag along. Wow, cool That was that? very cool. Now, Torino, what country is that? That's Italy. Italy. Northern Italy. That's mm-hmm. what I thought. So, oh man, so you got to see the mountains. Oh, yeah. Yep. so lucky. Yep, I got to go up into these little mountain towns. You know, the Swiss Alps, you know, cross over into Italy there. Went to see ski jumping. That was incredible in person. It was the coolest thing, you know. If oh. And it wasn't even the time I lived in Italy, but the second I had the opportunity to go back, I was like, I will take that ticket. All right, so Olympics, because with the Olympics this year, there's a debate whether they'll happen or not. Um, So tell me about your experience with the Olympics and and, um, what made it so cool with so many different people culturally there. Like, yeah, and and I think you got it right there. It's you're you're at these sporting events and you see 
hundreds of countries represented and everyone has their flags and they're dressed in their own, you know, country garb or whatever. And everyone is in such a good mood, right? We're all just there cheering our athletes along, but it's a positive competition and going into the village at night and just going around. I mean, everyone is so happy. It's it really, I feel like it's something that brings the world together, even though it's a competition. Um, it really brings countries together and, and really promotes inclusiveness. Yeah, it does. Cause you see so many stories like the, the British ski jumper who, you know, Eddie, the Eagle Edwards, whoever it was, yeah. right? Like he wasn't winning anything ever, but man, everybody knows him. I mean, think about it. The mm-hmm. guy never won a medal, but everybody knows him. The Jamaican bobsled team, the, uh, most people know Jamaica has a downhill skier that skis on the circuit. That guy, I've seen pictures of him. I ski faster than him and I probably could be more competitive on these circuits than this guy is, but he's out there representing Jamaica. And you know what? The other skiers could care less. They like seeing him out there and I guarantee he is treated the same as every other skier that's out there racing in those circuits. So Mm -hmm. I love that you say that. And you saw it from a perspective of corporate too, where maybe you could have been a little bit um, pulled away from that being around that corporate atmosphere with the Kodak people. Right. You know, yeah. Kodak was a huge sponsor. They did a lot of the photography, but, um, you know, they the fact that they're pumping money into the Olympics and sponsoring and bringing people there and promoting it, you know, I, I have a feeling that it gets harder and harder for companies. And I just, I really respected them for that. They made a big deal about it and they wanted to make sure, you know, they took these photographs and advertised the Olympics and showcased the athletes. So it was nice being a part of that. That's a lucky experience. Yeah. I had a good friend of mine in high school who skipped... Our junior, our, our, I graduated from Greece Arcadia, and our junior year, he skipped sectionals because our team won sectionals that year to go to Alberta because his dad was covering it for the Democrat Chronicle, Rick Woodson. Oh. So my buddy Mike Woodson skipped sectionals to go to that Olympics up there. Um, and he was like, I'm, I never, I don't regret that for one second. Mm-hmm. He was skiing up there with the Olympic athletes and being in the middle of everything up there. I mean, I always raise my dad, how is it that we had the Winter Olympics here when I was eight years old within five hours of our house and you didn't even consider going up there? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, when my son was eight, I'm thinking about when my son was eight, I was just, um, I was single four years at that point. And if the Olympics were in white face, he was skiing at that point four years already. So five years already, because he started at three. I would have had him and I would have been on that mountain or in that town. There's no way we wouldn't have been like, right. We need to bring it back. Oh man. That town just isn't big enough to support it, unfortunately. But, but how about if it got to Montreal and Tremblant? Now that's a big mountain they can handle. It's a two sided mountain. They could probably handle it up there. I would love to go to Olympics. That would Mm -hmm. be a really cool experience. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so thank you for this first segment. I hope we're going to take a little breather. And I want to come back and really talk about um, you as a New York processor and your background as a pharmaceutical rep, I think you were right. And I'm, I'm putting this out there on purpose, people, because this is the favorite part of my the episode here recording, because we haven't even tapped into what she used to do for her career and what she does now and how the two really are on opposite sides. So we're going to take a little breather and we'll be back with Courtney in just a minute. <laughs> 